You're listening to the Writing Wall Podcast, and I'm your host, Stacey Hawks. Every second and fourth Saturday of the month, I will be here at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and many other platforms. This podcast is designed for indie authors to have a platform to share their books, their poetry, and their stories. We also feature well-known and traditional writers that are from my home state of North Carolina, while also featuring local writers from my backyard right here in the beautiful Blue Ridge Mountains of Allegheny County. You can connect with us on Twitter at The Writing Wall or on Instagram at WritingsOnTheWall85 and grab our links there to our website so that you can keep up with what's happening with our monthly newsletter. Newsletters go out the first of every month and you can also sign up to follow us on the Wix app because everyone has a story. We want to hear yours. What is your story? Hey everyone, it's Tyler Woodkoski, the publisher at Tea with Coffee Media. Tea with Coffee Media is a team of indie authors, designers, and editors who have a goal of helping indie authors make their dreams become a reality. Our Modest Press has aspirations to help as many indie authors succeed as possible. Not only do we offer publishing services, and yes, we are open for submissions, but we offer editing, marketing, and book cover design services at an affordable price to all indie authors. Visit us online at Tea with coffee.media to learn more about our services and some of our fabulous authors like Caitlin Kalor, Destiny Swallows, Ruby Marley, Natalie Bartley, J.A. Curtis, and our newest author, Clarissa Quattrell. Good evening, and thank you for joining the Writing Wall Podcast. I'm your host, Stacey Hawks, and this is a special episode of the podcast where we interview Sheila Myers. Author Sheila Myers is an award-winning author and college professor in upstate New York. Her penchant for research and meanderings through the wilderness, lakes, mountains, and vistas, and the occasional trip to a cemetery in the United States and abroad inspire her novels and short stories. Now we're going to be speaking about her novel, The Truth of Who You Are. Welcome, Sheila, to the Writing Wall Podcast. Thank you for having me. Share with listeners a little about yourself and the genre you write. I write in two different genres. I write contemporary coming of age type stories and I write historical fiction, family sagas normally, but in this case I wrote a historical fiction coming of age. So, <laughs> and you know, I don't really put boundaries on my work. I I do like historical fiction, but I'm currently working on a contemporary as well. So, I write across different genres. Tell us about your book, The Truth of Who You Are. This book was inspired by the stories of the people that once inhabited the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. I was visiting there and I uh, went to visit Cadiz Cove specifically, which is on the Tennessee side of the park. And there's some just great cultural museums. And Cadiz Cove is a cultural heritage site in the park where they actually kept the cabins of the people that once lived there. Their cabins, their barns are all intact and found some great oral histories and interesting stories to follow up on. I 
was also interested in the formation of the park itself and the fact that the people that once lived there had to move out. But the young men and women that came in, mostly men really, with the Civilian Conservation Corps who really built the foundation, the infrastructure, planted a lot of the trees, fought forest fires, their time at the park. There was like 25 camps in the park in the early 1930s during the Great Depression. And their stories were also fascinating. So I just knew I had a gem on my hand to write these stories of these men and the park and its history. Having studied this particular time in history myself and this particular topic of the Civilian Conservation Corps, I bet that you ran across Harley Jolly's books quite a bit. Yes, I did. I did. And you know what's interesting is the federal government really has a nice website, or it might be just a nonprofit, but there's a lot of the newsletters from the days in the Corps. They used to have newsletters, and those are all online. There's a lot of diaries. I got a great nonfiction book about it, about the Corps and their work throughout the country. So yeah, I found a, lot, a plethora of material. There was no shortage of material to work with. Research is a huge part of any historical fiction book, especially when discussing the Great Depression, the Smoky Mountains National Park, and the Civilian Conservation Corps, as you do in this book, The Truth of Who You Are. Was there a piece of information you learned that really stood out to you and was interesting? Yeah, you know, I'm writing a piece for the Mount Appalachian Mountain Club, an essay about growth in the park. And, you know, what was happening in the early 1900s is these lumber companies owned most of the land, and they would just literally clear cut, especially the big valuable trees like, you know, the, the chestnuts and the hemlocks. And then they just abandon the land and leave it to forest fire. They got away with it for years. And there was a movement to conserve the land and the park and people were raising money. The federal government raised money. Roosevelt's came up with money. But what was, was kind of shocking to me was how in this one story I found the Little River Railroad Company and Lumber Company, the guy owned 80,000 acres around the Tennessee side of the park. And he, you know, he just, the company just took whatever lumber they wanted and including old growth. Basically, the government came along and said, okay, well, we want to buy this land from you. And they said, sure, we'll sell you the land, but we're going to keep our rights to cut the timber. For the next 10, 15 years. And it, it was just amazing how much the government allowed in terms of the lumber companies to pillage the lands, you know? And yeah, I mean, and then, and then thank God we got the park because then it was a matter of just nation and rebuilding and replanting. And, you know, the core throughout the country planted over 3 billion trees in our state and national parks. So there was a lot of replanting to be done in the Smoky Mountains at the time. And that, that kind of shocked me a little bit. I mean, I shouldn't have been shocked because I've written books up in the Adirondacks and the same kind of story there too. This book addresses a lot of the land issues too that came up during the Great Smoky Mountains National Park's creation as well as that of the lumber companies that moved in. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, and you know, part of the problem from what I was reading was that, you know, it was, I don't want to say squatters, but there, people lived on the land for a long period of time without really having the literacy to file deeds or understand the legal ramifications of land ownership. And so lumber companies took advantage of that too. If there wasn't a deed 
filed in the court, they would go down and act, you know, just say, we own, we're going to work taking this land. And I was reading a story about this one guy, William Walker, who I, I kind of base loosely the story on his story. He, you know, had four wives. They said, I don't know how much that, there's not four wives in my story, but he had the last bit of old growth in the Tennessee side near Cadiz Cove. It's now in the area called Tremont in the park. And um, really interesting about him is, again, he, what he did is he put cabins and hen houses wherever he could to show ownership because there wasn't really any other way for him to show ownership. And if you get to the end of the book, in my author's notes, I mentioned that he, he had the last parcel of old growth and the Little River Railroad Company came to him on his deathbed and bought it. And he said, as long as you promise not to cut that old growth. And they said, oh, sure. And then, of course, you know, 10 years later, it was all cut. What sources did you find helpful when writing this book, either primary or secondary? Well, what's interesting, if you know how you go into those little museums in a town or a bookstore and they have those books that are written there, you wouldn't find them necessarily on Amazon, but they're written by local historians. And those are just gold mine of information. I mean, I found that not just for this book, but when I was writing my book set in the Adirondacks about the Durant family in the late 1800s, you know, I found books and used bookstores too, where people in the 60s and 70s were able to interview people that were in their old age, but had grown up in the late 1800s, early 1900s, right? So if you can find books like that, you get a lot of good primary oral history. I was lucky that way. There's a good cultural history museum in near Tremont in the park, and it's a Townsend in the park. And then even the National Parks Museum has a lot of local regional history books. So I, Cherokee, on the other side, on on North Carolina side, there's the Cherokee Museum. And there I found some really great information about the Native American history. So I really had a lot of good luck. And I didn't have to do a lot of searching online because everything was there. And and then of course I found some nonfiction books about the Civilian Conservation Corps in that period of time. Yes, definitely local historical genealogical research guides, books, things like that. that. Those are great to have at your fingertips when you're researching. All 100 counties in North Carolina have a county book. It's just a black book with a county seal on it. Inside are family genealogies and a lot of history about each county. So if you're looking to research something (laughs) here in North Carolina and you want a local resource, go to the county books. Cool. I didn't see those, but you know, up here, I'm in the Finger Lakes region. We have like, I think it's our Arcadian Press that has an imprint with that kind of local, regional, yeah. Those things are really important. And I'm so glad that we have that in our country because it's the regional history is just so interesting. Our country is so diverse and there's just so much there's just so much history all over our country that's so different and diverse. And I think it's important to keep that history and document it. I love that place has a story here in your book. What experiences have you had in the Blue Ridge that led you to make this place part of the truth of who you are? My parents lived there. They actually lived near Greenville, South Carolina for about almost 20 years. And I would visit quite often. So I was very familiar with the Blue Ridge. And then I took a couple road trips up to Asheville and then into the Smokies. The the history of the National Park really intrigued me. I live in the Finger Lakes region, but I, I had set another group of novels that I wrote, historical fiction in the Adirondack Mountains. And I'm really drawn to the mountain culture and the history of mountain culture because it's such a rugged culture and lifestyles are so rugged and not easy. And so I was just really drawn to the stories of the people that lived in that region. Mixing fact and fiction can be a very intricate task for historical fiction writers. How did you find a balance? Was it easier or harder than you thought it might be? 
Well, it's funny you ask that because I have actually talk I give to different groups. At the, it's called my five rules of writing historical fiction. You know, one of them is that you're going to be blurring the lines between fact and fiction. But, you know, the whole point of historical fiction, unlike nonfiction, is to entertain. And you have to remember that. I mean, people are griping about the TV show Bridgerton. I heard some gripes about like, oh, you know, the costumes or, you know, did we really have mixed races, you know, mingling socially? Do we really care? Because you know what? Everyone I know that watches it loves it. It's just fun to watch and it's interesting and entertaining. And that is the point of fiction. Of course, I don't want to like blatantly lie about facts, right? But if my rule is if I can't find the information that's going to refute something I'm going to put in fiction, then and, and if no one's gonna be able to refute me, then I'm putting it in. Not necessarily that I'm making stuff up, but like, who knows? Did it happen or not? Well, if it's because it's not written down, doesn't mean it didn't happen. I'm 100% for whatever helps people and draws people into this historical fiction genre because it may ultimately lead to them wanting to learn more about a certain period in history. And I think it's, I think it's fine. Yeah, and, and I think fiction too. And I don't want to get people bogged down in the details either. Another rule is, you know, and I kind of learned that after my first book of historical fiction, I felt like I had to put all these facts in there and all these famous people. It was just too much. It was overload and it bogs down a story. So you really want to have a good mix, what I call it, like sprinkling in little historical interesting facts, but you don't have to bang somebody over the head with it. For me, I was really drawn into writing Sheriff Walter Irwin in my books. Was there a character that you found you enjoyed writing about the most and why? There was two. One, I really liked Finn because I felt he was a counter argument to, oh, let's build a national park, you know, kind of a, a big person who had a past that he was trying to figure out. He had been a World War One vet. And then I really enjoyed writing about Tony because Tony's your everybody's wingman you know i really wrote him as a character that you think of as you know in your life there's always somebody who's your wingman and that's tony so those are my two favorite characters the women also somebody just mentioned this to me the other day that they really like cornelia who's one of the sisters the aunts and she was the one that um you know during the depression she had to move in with her sisters who were you know making their own honey they were spinning their own yarn feeding the chickens and they kicked her out because she didn't want to like clean the chicken coop because she had just done her nails. So I really kind of had fun writing about Cornelia too. It's a prima donna type. I am enjoying reading the truth of who you are and the characters got me thinking a little bit too. What is your favorite place to visit in the Smoky Mountains, Sheila? I gotta say my husband and I ended up in an Airbnb in Townsend which there's not a lot got going on. It's right next to Dolly Land. There's not a lot going on there, but it's really a kind of a, a pretty setting. And it's, you're really close to the park entrance to hop, skip and a jump away. There's a couple little museums in that town and found a great Airbnb right along the river. Well, last time I went back, I went to Asheville because I was hanging out in Asheville and I was going to the bookstores and you know handing out my book and saying, please sell this on your bookstore, Malapros and all those. And Asheville's just a fun, artsy scene in general you know great craft brewers so i really appreciate the culture there i mean i would love to i mean I, my kids are all in this region and i can't just leave but i always said joe i'm like i'd love to have a second home down here a place to come visit all the time because it's just there's a lot going on and if you're an outdoorsy kind of person like we are we like to hike and there's just so much going on Asheville is a great place to visit in North Carolina. Lots of historic sites like the Biltmore House and Thomas Wolfe Memorial of Historic Asheville. You can visit his home and learn more about his books like Look Homeward Angel. Speaking of great books, Sheila, are you working on another book currently? And if so, what can you share with our listeners? 
Yes, I have a story, a novel that I wrote that's unpublished and sitting on my computer. I've got a couple actually, you know how that goes. You pitch them, who knows if it's going anywhere. But this one I kind of like, and it's set actually in upstate New York, but it, it's set in the Catskills. And it's set about a family who owns a painting, but their house is a museum, a historic museum. And there's a painting in the house worth 20 million. It's a Hudson River School painting. It's actually based on a true story that happened up here in Auburn, New York. It's a Seward Museum. Anyways, I'm pitching. That's that's in the, the works. But I decided this summer to take a break from writing novels because that I wrote that during COVID. And I'm writing a screenplay based on that novel. And I've been getting into screenplays lately. It's a whole different kind of writing, a very interesting kind of writing. You don't do a lot of description, which is tough for me. It's mostly dialogue and action. So I'm challenging myself this summer with that. I'm hoping to write a story set up in Maine, but I haven't quite figured that one out yet. You know how that is as a writer. You just always have ideas. It's just a matter of timing. Yes, I most certainly do. Absolutely. I know our followers and our listeners are looking forward to that next installment and looking forward to more books from you, Sheila. What advice would you give to someone who is looking to publish? Patience, <laughs> a lot of patience, right? Would you agree? I was just at a talk today. The woman's name is Patience, Patience Brewster. She is an artist, an illustrator, and talked about the genre of children's books and illustrations and writing. And she has like 30 illustrated books that she's written and illustrated. And she's also kind of famous because she's, anyways, long story short, it was interesting to listen to her because everything she said, I was like, oh my gosh, you're right. Like, she's just like, I was constantly my whole career has been working around them or over them and she's very successful so i think that's the important part is to just keep your head in the game in terms of why are you doing it it's for art just like the art if you don't like the art then don't do it if you're just doing it for the fame then it's a waste of your time that is absolutely wonderful advice. Do what you love and love what you do. Don't do it for any other reason than that. So how can listeners and followers find you and your book? All my books are on the regular outlets, you know, the Amazon, the Barnes and Noble, iBooks, anywhere you go, you can find all my books in print or an ebook format. My author website is simple. It's SheilaMyers.com. You can't miss it. Oh, and I have a link to all my bio and all my books in there. You know, you can find me on my website. You can contact me there. Join my newsletter. I don't inundate people too much. I actually give out book club recommendations because I'm in a book club and I give out a newsletter like every three or four months. You can find me there. Sheila, thank you so much for being part of our season five here on the Writing Wall podcast. It was a pleasure speaking with you about your story and, of course, all things history related. We wish you all the best on upcoming projects. Thank you so much for having me. It really was fun. You can catch Sheila Myers Season 5 Extra on our Buy Me A Coffee platform. Just visit www.buymeacoffee.com forward slash The Writing Wall to become a member and listen to these exclusive extras all season long for free. We encourage everyone to stop by Sheila's website, our website, and follow her on social media. Join us on Saturday, October 22nd at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for our Season 5 finale with author Diana Steven of Lilacs and the Dust Bowl. Because we all have a story, the Writing Wall podcast wants to hear yours. What is your story? (laughs) 
Anytime I purchase a book, I always review, and if I really enjoy reading your work, rest assured, it may be shared here on this podcast with my listeners and followers. Of course, I will do so with permission from the author or authors first. Please like, follow, and share this information with other writers, and if you ever need a writer's lift, visit me on social media. Thank you all again for being here for this podcast. I look forward to hearing from you and learning more about the stories you weave.